You're listening to the AP Biology Podcast, a series of spoken words for biology enthusiasts and students. My name is Aiden Lowe, and I'll be dissecting each topic in the AP curriculum to ensure you have the best possible knowledge to fully comprehend the world of biology. Today, I'll be reviewing the basics of cellular signaling. A textbook is advised since we are going to take a look at many diagrams. Throughout each section, we will also address some learning objectives or things you should note. Let's dive into arguably the most important topic in all of biology, cell signaling. To start off, let's describe the ways that cells can communicate with one another. Page 217 shows three types of signaling, direct, local, and long distance. Direct contact is exemplified by cell junctions in animal cells and plasmodesmata in plant cells, which allows faster communication and facilitates coordination between cells. Local signaling includes paracrine signaling, which is the secretion of ligands to nearby cells. Synaptic signaling in nerve cells is also included in local signaling. Lastly, there is long distance signaling. Cells inject hormones into the bloodstream that travel to specific cells. Now for a simple question, how do hormones know which cells to target? The answer is receptor proteins. Only cells with specific receptor proteins can interact with specific hormones. You can imagine hormones flowing along the bloodstream and constantly bumping into cells until it finally clicks with the receptor protein that it's meant to target. Signal transduction. All signal transduction possesses three basic steps. One, reception. A signaling molecule or ligand attaches to a receptor either on the plasma membrane or in the cytoplasm of the cell. Two, transduction. The receptor triggers relay molecules or a phosphorylation cascade, which we'll describe in detail later. And three, response. A cellular response is activated. A response could be anything ranging from cells absorbing more glucose from the blood, resulting from insulin signaling, to apoptosis resulting from death signaling molecules. Reception, transmembrane receptors, GPCR. The most ubiquitous type of eukaryotic membrane receptors is the G protein coupled receptors or GPCR. You can find the diagrams on page 220. Many different signals, including neurotransmitters, adrenaline, immune responses, vision, smell, and taste, all depend on GPCRs. In fact, over 50% of all medicine influences these pathways. So let's break the structure down. First, we have the G protein coupled receptor, denoted in purple, and its job is to bind with a specific ligand. On the side, we have a green G protein, a protein with the ability to bind with GDP and GTP. 
the G protein acts as the switch in this pathway. At the right, an enzyme is ready to be triggered to cause a transduction. In step 1, the G protein is bound with GDP and is thus inactive. However, once a ligand binds with the receptor, the receptor changes shape and joins with a G protein. The G protein displaces GDP into GTP and is now activated. So you can think of GTP as a close relative to ATP since it also activates molecules. All right, step three. The excited G protein binds with the enzyme to change its shape, which causes a cellular response. Lastly, it quickly hydrolyzes GTP back into GDP and a phosphate group and is now inactive. The thing to note here is that ligands are not bound to the receptors for a long time. In fact, they leave as soon as they bind, and the G protein essentially gets activated only temporarily. The abundance of the cellular response depends on the ligand concentration outside the cell. For me personally, the hydrolysis of GTP is the beauty of this pathway. It allows the pathway to be shut down rapidly when ligands are present. So you might think the more responses the better, but unregulated transductions are not good for anyone. I mean, imagine your adrenaline still rushing hours after a test. Doesn't feel great. An AP question might test on your ability to recognize how a disturbance in the pathway might affect a result. So be aware. RTK. Just as important as GPCRs are receptor tyrosine kinases, or RTKs. The uniqueness of RTKs is that they're both receptors and protein kinases, enzymes that catalyze phosphate groups from ATP to other proteins. Due to its multitude of kinase regions extending into the cytoplasm, one RTK can activate 10 or more different pathways, much more than GPCRs, which activate one generally. RTKs start with two transmembrane receptors that each bind to one ligand before combining to form a dimer. The kinase regions on the dimer are activated with ATP and bind with relay proteins that continue the transduction process. Ion channel receptors. On the next phase, we have a ligand gated ion channel. These receptors are key structures in the nervous system. The structure is simple. So a ligand binds to a channel receptor, causing the receptor to open its gates for specific ions, such as calcium, sodium, potassium, to flow in or out of the cell. The sudden flow of ions causes a dramatic change in the membrane potential and triggers an electric impulse. Intracellular receptors. More often than not, intracellular receptors elicit long-term cellular responses, such as activating genes or producing new proteins. Now, this doesn't mean that transmembrane receptors don't do this, it just means that intracellular ones are more likely to do so. 
So to reach these receptors, ligands have to either be hydrophobic, like steroids, or small, like gas molecules. Why, you may ask? Well, um, recall that the plasma membrane is made up of hydrophilic heads facing outwards and hydrophobic tails facing inwards, right? Only hydrophobic or nonpolar molecules have the ability to transport through the thicker hydrophobic layer. You can think of it like this. Um, when you put oil inside water, it doesn't dissolve. Why? Because it is nonpolar. Uh, as opposed to water, which is polar. So as a result, it will flow to the top and refuse to kind of connect with water. So in a similar way, these hydrophobic molecules can enter only because they have the same qualities as most of the layer. So if a hydrophilic molecule wants to enter, it cannot do so because it will simply be repelled by the hydrophobic layer. So you can think of it like that. Once the ligand combines with the receptor, they form a receptor complex that usually does work inside the nucleus, such as transcription. Transduction. Take a look at page 224, which gives a simple diagram of a phosphorylation cascade. There are two major components at work here. You can highlight the bolded words. Um, a protein kinase is an enzyme that transfers phosphate groups from ATP to a protein. So you can think of the phosphate group as the energy carrier, storing chemical energy in its bonds. The other component is protein phosphatase. Its description is on the next page. An enzyme that removes phosphate groups from proteins. Its function is the exact same as the G protein and GPCRs, halting a response when it's no longer needed and allowing the mechanism to be reused. Congratulations, you made a connection. The rest is self-explanatory. Once a protein kinase is activated by ATP, it facilitates the hydrolysis of the phosphate group to the subsequent protein kinase, and the cascade continues. Just as important as proteins are second messengers, small water-soluble molecules or ions that diffuse throughout the cell. They participate in signal pathways of GPCRs and RTKs. Cyclic AMP is essentially a modified version of ATP. ATP has three phosphates while AMP has one. T, in this case, means tri, three, and M means mono, one. Page 226 has an easy-to-understand diagram of this. When adrenaline, or epinephrine, binds with a GPCR, it triggers the enzyme adenylylcyclase. This enzyme is the one the G protein binds with, if you recall. The adenylylcyclase then catalyzes the formation of CAMP from ATP, which triggers protein kinase A and begins the aforementioned phosphorylation cascade. A more widely used second messenger is the calcium ion, 
A process in most cells is that they constantly maintain an extremely high calcium concentration in the extracellular fluid and in the endoplasmic reticulum via active transport. If you can remember, active transport is when you use ATP to make molecules transport against their natural diffusion, so from low concentration to high concentration. Subsequently, cells can use other second messengers, mainly IP3 and DAG, to open a ligand-gated ion channel in the ER and cause a natural diffusion and dramatically increase calcium concentration in the cytoplasm to stimulate cellular responses. You can take a look at figure 914 to learn more, but the only thing here to remember is that second messengers have a diverse set of methods to trigger cellular responses. Regulation of a signaling pathway. Signal amplification. Reception and transduction don't happen in a linear path as you might traditionally think. Instead, each component of the pathway amplifies the signal by activating multiple copies of the next component. This is because proteins in active form can stay long enough to process multiple molecules before they can become inactive. As a result, a ligand's effect might be amplified a million-fold or more. Specificity of Cellular Signaling We've touched on this briefly already, so recall that receptor proteins only connect to specific ligands. This is the major effect of differentiation in cells. Cells, when differentiating, turn on and off different genes, which in turn produces different proteins. And these proteins will subsequently produce different cellular responses because they connect to specific ligands. So I hope you're following right there. However, it is imperative to note that two cells can respond differently to the same signal due to differences in the receptor proteins. Such is the case in figure 917 cell D. So you can take a look at that. Cell signals can also activate or inhibit other pathways, exemplified in cell C. So to put this into a more real-life perspective, it's similar to a two-factor authentication when you sign into your Google account, where two separate confirmations are required to activate a singular response. Thus marks the end to our journey through the cellular signaling pathways. I hope you have a better understanding of how cellular signaling works, what features makes it unique, and why it's ultimately important. My name is Aiden, and I'm here to remind you that if any of you are facing a relationship problem, stay strong, because one day, you'll find the receptor protein that fits you perfect.